RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Yes, hello and welcome back to episode 86 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Rich Clark. Rich is lead S&C coach for Bristol Flyers basketball um, and has a wealth of experience in agility. So we, we really delve into that. He's doing a lot of lot of great work on that. And as you'll, you'll hear from the podcast, it's something I think a lot of coaches kind of struggle with early on. And I know I did. And, and Rich, you can hear the way he talks about it and his understanding. It's really good. So I'm sure you get tons of it. Plus learn about other things as well. So give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hey Rich, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Let's start by telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning, and who you've worked with and who you're currently working with. Cool, all good. Well, Jeremy, thanks very much for the for the invitation. Um, I've listened into a few episodes, so pleasure to to come and have a chat. Um, Rich Clark, strength and conditioning coach, based in the UK. Um, I've done all sorts of stuff over the years, combination between kind of academic university roles, running undergrad degrees and master's degrees, always um, or generally always in S&C, um, and then lots of kind of coaching roles, combination of youth development in lots of private facilities or at least kind of you know private settings. Um, some time with women's football, both of the FA program, kind of the, their uh, their kind of hub program, as well as um, um, some Super League stuff. Uh, currently work with the Bristol Flyers basketball, which is a, a role that kind of takes up at least part of my uh, of my week. And yeah, just all sorts, really. A combination of lots of different areas and different places, trying to keep fingers in pies and keep ourselves keep ourselves busy. Cool. Um, yeah, and uh, we, we've spoken uh, before about agility, and that's a lot of stuff. I've, I've been following your, your stuff on social media. You're doing a lot of work and research and preparing kind of some content on that. Um, so let, let's just get straight into it uh, about agility. So first, I guess, what, what are the kind of fundamentals for, for developing agility the right way? Yeah, so some, that, that is a, as simple as that question sounds, it's probably quite difficult to answer because agility is just this massive, massive bucket. It's quite easy with, you go like, linear speed you can go okay do x y and z and then the agility stuff opens up to both multi-directional skills from a physical movement perspective and then the perceptual cognitive decision making side of things the big missing pieces for me which are the early easy wins is deceleration and speed control that's kind of a completely uh um, impossible to ignore factor or possible impossible to ignore component of it and then it does become about ensuring that an athlete is adaptable and capable of cutting moving breaking whatever it might be accelerating both left and right so no longer linear where you can kind of disguise some asymmetries and disguise some um, you know a lack of competency on one leg than the other and that you start really thinking about making changes in direction left making them right and increasing and decreasing speed so those are just simple if training is pre-planned just make sure that you're doing more than simply 
straight line, fast you can, 10 meters, whatever it, whatever it might be. And then the perceptual side of things really gets a little bit more complicated. So making decisions, being able to pick, pick up the right kind of information. And that's when it starts to get even more uncomfortable for, for S&C coaches where you just have to scale back from the game all the way back to two-on-ones, one-on-ones, simplified situations. Um, and yeah, you, you kind of just put all of that stuff on a, on a continuum and then decide based upon your group, all right, these guys clearly need exposure to lots of pre-planned multi-directional stuff because they're just incompetent with um, kind of basic movement skills. And then when you can start to add in a little bit of decision-making, one-on-one based training, and then I guess those are opposite ends of the spectrum and over time, try and work out how you can slowly blend those together so that actually everything looks a bit more agility-like, if that makes sense. Um, but, but generally, at least the, the first step for people is split them up and really try and develop some good physical movement skills and then start to think about applying that into game-like situations, depending on what they already get in training, of course. But yeah, I'm not sure if that's as con- that was as concise as what you maybe hoped it was going to be, but that's probably giving you a bit of an idea. Yeah, no, well, it's, it's sort of giving me a couple, couple ideas for kind of uh, my next question. I guess, I guess the next one for me would be where, where do a lot of people kind of go wrong in trying to develop agility? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. The question, the most common question that I probably have or that I get in the kind of conversation is people think that it just kind of sorts itself out. So this classic idea of, oh, well, doesn't, you know, don't they get that from the game? Don't they get that from training? You know, that, that people okay. thinking that that bucket is already filled. And yeah, you're coming on to that, I've no doubt. <laughs> um, you know, people thinking that that bucket's already filled up. And the answer is, well, obviously it, it depends based upon sport. Um, so you think like, you know, the, 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 the traditional conversation that tends to happen around that is I tend to say from a coach's perspective, so sports coach's perspective, if you take rugby as an example, they've got a big old group of people, depending on how training is split up into kind of unit groups and exactly kind of what's done. But generally coaches aren't training on pitch in order to develop physically related movement qualities and one-on-one decision making or individual plays or at least kind of like very small like micro situations they're much more focused on macro stuff so you know where are players relative to each other are they in the right kind of formations right place right time um, working as a group and that kind of stuff takes up a lot more a lot more of their time and of course, you'll have these parts of training, which will be um, be units, be smaller groups, be skill based work. And it might be that some of that stuff already ticks the agility box. But I think people just like to assume that it's ticked because, oh, it's on pitch and it looks like rugby. And there is a there are some multidirectional elements to it. But if you look at that in a bit more, you know, with a bit more a bit more of a critical eye I suppose you look and you go uh, okay is everything submaximal sometimes and if it's submaximal it's not really developing the physical challenges that we want it we want it to are they getting repetition in order to properly learn something are they doing it in such a complicated situation that the athlete just gravitates to their preferred strategy and what they feel comfortable with so they never actually improve their weaknesses become adaptable on both sides and there's so many different quite often things that are missing that unless you specifically go okay i am going to 
provide a certain amount of my contact time to making sure that this group or these, you know, these individuals get exposure to high speed, high speed decision making, high speed deceleration that forces them to cut off their less, um, less comfortable leg, whatever that, you know, whatever that might be. Um, so I think the biggest mistake is just go, people go, ah, the body self-organizes, right? The athlete self-organizes and, you know, the, the training takes care of that. Uh, I think once people get past that and they go, oh, actually, this is a big bucket that is potentially not being filled, again, depending on exactly what's being done, then you start to be, have more confidence that you can move your way up the, up the spectrum towards slightly more game-related and really start to control things to get the right kind of challenges to people. So that's probably the main one, just the appreciation that, we can and should, at least in my opinion, of course, uh, you know, we should really provide some time to this. This is where transfer is optimized and we can't expect it to just sort itself out from, you know, macro training and gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of, it, I guess, like all physical qualities, um, you can be trained to develop it and that's, you know, not necessarily going to look like the sport. And even with something in agility where people kind of think, well, it's going to be more sport specific. But as you said, it'll depend on, on the, the group of athletes and the individual athletes of where they are on that continuum for how basically how, how kind of sport specific. How, how do you go kind of integrating into sports? How, how sport specific do you go essentially? And obviously it'll depend on, on who you're working with. Yeah, really, again, so like, you know, without too many intricacies of exactly who you're working with, the big thing is unless you are a super you are a super specialist from an SNC coach's perspective. I, I'm not a rugby specialist. I'm not a football specialist. I'm still pretty kind of multi-sport and generic. So if you want to start to become specific, involve coaches. And the biggest challenge there is that depends on what the relationship with the coaches you work with is like and about whether they're interested in it, quite, quite frankly. Um, but even then, like, I think there's... There's a lot of skills and there's a lot of stuff that you can do with athlete groups, small athlete groups. That is, I guess, sports generic might be a way to kind of describe it when it's still high velocity, multi-directional locomotion. And you probably don't need to have a huge amount of sport expertise as an SNC to challenge athletes to do that and to know that I'm going to challenge athletes to get better or to expose them more effectively to high speed cuts and curves or to really hard deceleration and turning based situations and I think you can kind of set up situations if you don't have that coaching support to be like okay we want cuts and curves to challenge athletes in cuts and curves they need to get up to a high speed I need to give them a certain amount of space but I need to force them to make a decision to evade left or right and then you can set up situations even just that are that you think look like the sport or that you think have some general skills or general transfer um kind of transfer qualities so i do think you can do it but involving your coaches is your your best bet is your best outcome um but i'd also say involve athletes because they'll probably like the fact that you ask questions and you go does this does this feel like rugby like is this the kind of situation you think you'd be focused with like in these situations do you feel comfortable doing certain things would you always avoid taking an outside lane because of you know whatever their kind of own affordance understanding is 
And yeah, just don't think that you should have all the answers involve the coach, involve the athletes and kind of just think, expose them to the general physical qualities and the, the specificity stuff. Lots of that comes into the decision-making components anyway. And it all depends on how far down that, um, down that spectrum you go. But yeah, I guess it's one of the things that made a, that's always really useful for me is from, in terms of statements that help me kind of think about the, I guess, training adaptation, not adaptation, kind of training manipulation is that being specific and being representative is all on a continuum. The whole point of coaching is to not simply only play the game and slowly work your way back. And I guess you just need to decide like if 15 on 15 full gain is the real thing. And then if the coaches are doing some version of that, maybe not, you know, full 15, 15, 15 groups of groups of eight, whatever it might be. And then you slow your work your way down and you go at some point there becomes a really manageable two on two, one on one kind of based situations. And you think, okay, it's clearly not the game. So it doesn't have to be perfect from a sports specific perspective, but an athlete is looking at another athlete and there's a, the competition between them, they're picking up their movements, they're picking up kind of space information and you're still getting the physical movement challenges that you want out of it, i.e. cuts and curves, I guess was the example we, we gave a second ago. So collaborate if you can, but also if you can't, don't overthink it too much would probably be my, um, my summary of that. I think you can get a lot out of you know, sport generic movement skills that are, that are just performed at high speed and in multi-directional kind of planes of motion. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, and you kind of touched on a few things and you mentioned a few things. So if, if we look at kind of the, the basic movement competencies like the deceleration, be able to cut on, on both sides. Um, and then also you went into kind of the, the cognitive um, reactivity stuff. Are they, are they things you can train um, concurrently or do you need to master the, the basics first and then progress onto the kind of more reactive stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I think traditionally when people say, you think there's a, most textbooks you look at and it'll have the classic progression of um, pre-planned pre cone drills, more competitive situations that slowly become more open over time. And then we get this kind of reactive agility training as like the end of the, the, end of the continuum. So I think tr the traditional answer to that is that start pre-plan, develop the physical qualities, and then deal with the reactivity later. And I don't disagree with that. I just do think that you can merge them in more effectively or earlier than what you think. So one of the things that I always try and kind of teach to people is the concept of things being open and reactive has a continuum and has a spectrum as well. So there's watching three defenders and thinking about your own teammates and all of the information that's involved in those kind of situations to try and you know, be, be successful or whatever that might be, either attacking or defending. And then you go all the way back to me standing opposite you, us watching each other, one of us reacting to the other to start a race. And it's like, it's still reactive. There's still a postural information kind of cue there. So it's still somewhat of an open task, but there's a big difference between that and two on two, three on three, more kind of, you know, game-like stuff. And again, there's th that all slides its way up and down with your opponent starting from a static versus your opponent starting from a, a kind of a, a moving 
you know, more complicated body position that all of a sudden makes it even more difficult for me to react to, which makes it more open, which will have more effect on my physical method of executing it. So I think we can be more reactive earlier, which is where I think it's easier to maybe introduce agility and change of direction than maybe what people think it is. People get scared of, oh, it's open and reactive. It's going to look horrendous. It's not going to develop the physical qualities that I want it to. So I think we can do that if you're kind of careful with the, um, I guess, the complexity and the challenge point that, that, that you give people. But at the same point in time, you know, as, as all of us, I guess, traditionalist SNCs will say that there's certainly a need for a baseline that if an athlete has, you know, shows no movement competency, shows no body control, a lack of coordination in anything that's high speed or anything that's slightly more complex, then you probably don't want to give it to them. But if you're working with a group of athletes that are already competitive, i.e. they're playing at weekends at that professional level, it's, you know, a, a, maybe a high quality um, academy group, I don't see any reason to deliberately not give them something that they already do on the pitch anyway. It's not like, you know, it's not like plyometric intensity where it's like, oh, we're not going up to a really, you know, a high, a high height depth jump because of the fact that it's just too much for the body to handle. It's, oh, they already do this anyway. So it's not completely out of their, um, I guess, out of their scope from a competency safety perspective. It's just about us dialing things up, dialing things down in order to get the right level of challenge. And I think that you can add reactivity without the challenge becoming too crazy. It's just about when it becomes really complicated, one-on-ones, completely open, chaotic-based environments. So yeah, pre-planned, there's, there's a big gap between pre-planned and chaos. And we slowly become more chaotic, but that doesn't mean it can't be open relatively, relatively early. Yeah, definitely. Now, I, th- I think the, the challenge with it, with agility in general, is it's such, as you've kind of covered, it's such a broad subject and, and it's very grey in terms of, of how you can manipulate the variables because there are so many. Um, and you've kind of alluded to that well, you know, um, and, and I love a continuum, so that's always good to hear. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll take a little break from agility. We'll take a little break from agility, but we will, of course, come back. So first, um, it's the question we ask all the guests on the podcast. What do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength conditioning? And you don't have to say strictly rugby players. Um, not deliberately training for athleticism. That's probably going to be my, my, my simple answer to that without being too kind of deliberately... Um, kind of deliberately agility bias, I suppose. Look, strength, strength qualities are super important. Anthropometrics and physical stature are super important. But I think that without a deliberate intervention or a deliberate guidance, it's very easy for players to get into lift and shift, stronger is better, bigger is better mentality. And actually being able to control your body at high speeds be able to be, you know, under control and fluid in much more kind of complicated situations, hence kind of my agility based, um, you know, based component of that. I just think that that is so hugely important. And again, if you only, if the only time you get exposed to that at really high intensities and, um, you know, kind of complex situations is in training, is in games or is in kind of those couple of training sessions you have each week, I think that you're missing, you're missing a boat. The first step is linear sprinting. And then obviously then it becomes about controlling your momentum while 
you're trying to kind of maneuver yourself around a little bit more so yeah thinking in the mindset of athleticism not strength and size that's going to be my uh my answer i think yeah definitely we we always try and get you guys to kind of pivot on why why they're doing that and if if they've got to a point where it's not improving their athleticism performance then then why why put so much so much time and effort into it so it's a really good point um and kind of touched on one of the questions i was going to talk about agility in terms of terms of gym preparation is is there anything out there in in research or just from your experience that um is really good um to help develop the agility and, and prepare them to be in a good position to progress their change of direction ability yeah, there's, there's no there's no magic bullet, of course. Um, one of the things, agility being such a big kind of um, beast of just a mix of other qualities, you kind of just need a really good balance of stuff. So you, you kind of need to have a, a really balanced, adaptable profile. But the big one, if I had going to say anything, is going to be eccentric strength. Because of the braking, the deceleration component of it, it, it really is about making sure that an athlete is strong enough to both produce force and go into an acceleration based based movement but also break and control their body effectively when they need to that's when the risk is going to be the highest that's when performance is mostly lost with people who aren't exposed to that so just making sure that whatever you're doing from a a gym general training physical preparation perspective a good focus on deliberate eccentric strength is a is a really important kind of addition for me yeah of course great advice and what what sort of training modalities in the gym would you use to develop that so all sorts of different kind of ways a lot of it's going to be equipment related so unilateral movements are a very easy way to add eccentric overload in simply because you can get twice as much load onto a onto a single leg so i do lots of like single leg eccentric double leg concentric based variations when it's a little bit more um, a little bit more easy to kind of load things up other than that um I, i tend to think more about intensity overload in the eccentric phase rather than the duration overload so rather than just a deliberate slow eccentric phase actually trying to load up the eccentric um eccentric muscle action to a you know a much greater kind of um much greater intensity much greater percentage load than anything else so single leg down double leg up is a real is a real favorite of mine um anything that's going to be high speed landing and really deliberately focusing on that full triple flexion of landing and not just landing in a really really stiff um stiff kind of plyometric like position um and actually outside of those two everything else you probably need some kind of equipment or logistical help with i proper super maximal eccentric loading in a in a squat or whatever it might be you normally need spotters helpers or you need some kind of equipment weight releases whatever that whatever that might be the same thing with kind of flywheels have become really really common really important um super super useful they just cost you a few quid to or you build your own you know but they're not necessarily the most convenient thing in comparison to just loading up one leg because of the fact you can double the amount of um the amount of stress that you put on it and actually really forcing full range of motion triple flexion that way that's kind of my my go-to working in a a, a low equipment uh, availability environment i guess yeah cool and then um in terms of research into agility, now obviously there's kind of difficulties kind of because of the reactivity and, and other things. What what sort of stuff um, is out there, and what what are you looking at to kind of help kind of guide your training and your approach to it? 
Yeah, it's a really tough one because agility is just horrendously difficult to measure. So you don't actually get that much that is measured an agility outcome pre and post. Um, there's lots of work in terms of some testing and trying to measure things. Uh, but I, I guess without kind of going off on too much of a tangent there, the only way to really do it is to kind of go to a real simple principles way of looking at it because it's not a a simple pre post measurable physical quality you know it's not a we did this training and reactive strength improved by x by x amount you've got to look broadly and you've got to look at some perceptual cognitive stuff you've got to look at um some kind of biomechanics muscle physiology stuff from kind of like an eccentric overload perspective and then you've got to look at some skill acquisition um representative game design stuff and you kind of need to take an understanding of those areas and the research that's in each of those areas and find a way to put it together to kind of fit the situation that you're that you're currently in the big one there for me is the skill acquisition component of it if there's anything that, you, that they're going to that you kind of want people to be doing or, you, or the research that you want them to be looking at is look at application of skill, acquisition of skill, and how athletes learn versus our traditional physiological progressive overload, you know, X percentage increase a week allows some recovery. Learning and skill acquisition is a little bit different. So actually the research around that is going to be really, um, really impactful. Uh, ecological dynamics is a bit of a buzzword at the moment that's becoming more popular. So definitely look at some of the research that's, that's based around that. Um, challenge point hypothesis is a really important concept for me. Um, movement variability, differential learning, um, contextual interference, and these are all kind of skill acquisition topics, all of which you'll obviously find in, in those kind of skill-based coaching-related research journals. But I think that's a great place for people to try and spend their time to really upskill how they're applying this stuff in an on-pitch kind of situation. Yeah, no, it's a tons of great info there. Um, yeah, just, I guess my next question would be, and I know it's difficult because we said how all-encompassing it is and different physical qualities and, and all different variables. But if, if you were to uh, be working with a, a client who's, you know, maybe maybe remote and they haven't got that much time, uh, so a rugby player hasn't got that much time to um, uh, put towards uh, speed and agility, what, what would be your kind of basic advice and, and how would you recommend they kind of get it in around all their other training demands? Yeah, my, my basic advice is just to kind of move out of the sagittal plane that I'll be doing most of the time people will be doing some sprinting some acceleration work keep doing that because it's super important but instead of only starting your sprints from a linear position change up your starting position start from lateral position start from a lying position start where you've got to turn 180 degrees straight away and then you if you change how you enter into a sprint you tick a big box you get a you still have your kind of acceleration exposure and your acceleration training and then change the way that you finish and you stop a sprint decelerate into different positions decelerate or finish a sprint and have to do a different task even if it goes fully non-sport specific and it's decelerate into picking up a tennis ball and throwing it in you know turn turn and kind of come back the, the way that you came from just take your basic premise of your exposure in linear sprinting acceleration think about adapting the start so there's a bit more variation there's more multi uh, multiplanar challenges 
have a deceleration component and think about a task at the end. And actually you can do that on your own and you just kind of kind of got to change it up, appreciate that you're not trying to, you're not trying to master one specific thing and just repeat the same thing over and over again. You're just challenging the body to coordinate itself and to control the level of momentum that you've got, control the speed that you've got in order to be able to complete other things. That's kind of the easiest way, I think, to start to move towards exposure to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I like it. really, really good advice and really way to integrate that in without taking up too much time. Uh, so next question again, is we ask all the all the guests on this, um, it's what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? And it might be in relation to how they how they develop their kind of expertise with, with agility. Yeah, um, I probably alluded to it already, actually, it's just start thinking more and learning more about skill development. We, we, as SNCs, we come from physiological backgrounds in, in a lot of cases. You know, a lot of people have gone through a sports science program and a master's in SNC, and you learn things more from a physiology, progressive overload, development of physical qualities perspective, of course, because that's the, you know, that's the foundation of our of our role, of our viewpoint. But you know, and this kind of applies to learning about um, speed coaching and acceleration development, max speed development, whatever it might be. But just remembering that teaching skills, coaching skills, getting skills to transfer from pre-planned situations to sport specific situations needs a slightly different way of thinking, needs interventions to look slightly differently. So the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do is to think outside of an snc textbook which they don't tend to cover that kind of stuff and deliberately start to look at skill acquisition based research skill acquisition based texts and think about coaching and sport specific kind of you know training representation like how coaches make things more or less representative and i think if you think about that stuff and you look at that stuff with an snc mentality i.e. thinking about movement and thinking about force output and thinking about biomechanics a bit more. I think that's a really, really nice combination of um, combination of things and a combination of skills. And I just think that would help people be more confident with going out on pitch, being more dynamic, doing some higher speed stuff because they appreciate that how the principles are slightly different and actually that they don't need to hugely overcoach and tell people all of these tiny details about where their feet should be it should just be a exposure and challenge kind of situation that's kind of what i would what i would recommend no that's that's awesome that's great advice yes like when, when you talk about the research you're going that it's you know it's a lot of skill acquisition stuff and, and we won't have been exposed to that so it's really good advice to kind of look down that sort of route and then getting that buying from the players in terms of exploring the way that they can move and, and improve their performance so that's great advice uh, so, Rich, we kind of spoke briefly about it before, um, the strength coach curriculum, I hope I'm getting that right. Um, tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve with that. Yeah, sure. Um, you, you got the right, you got the name right. I could have chose a shorter one in all in all fairness. Um, look, the, the first kind of course we have is a change of direction analytic program for the same reasons we're having this conversation that it's pretty poorly understood by most um, by most practitioners, pretty relevant for both coaches and SNCs, but but ultimately what that is, you know, that's a uh, a pretty pretty big comprehensive curriculum to cover all of this, all of all of the grey and the messy bits of the change of direction and agility based kind of component, and actually how we should potentially think about trying to get our training to transfer 
to you know on pitch performance versus just trying to make a test better or whatever that might be so that's kind of like um i guess the, the first program that we put together we've got a few other ones so working on a strength and power program working on a performance rehab program um, and, and strength coach curriculums will become just a i guess an um a brand or an umbrella full of some bigger uh, curriculums, each of which will be ran by somebody who is a, um, dare I say, expert, you know, who is um, a specialist in each area. So, you know, I've kind of started with the change of direction agility one, which is really obviously where my my skill set and where my interest is. Um, the strength of power one is going to be led by somebody else. So that's very much more their area, as is the performance rehab. And then we'll kind of just kind of keep going from there. It's just about trying to make sure that we can get some really good quality education opportunities for developing practitioners that you know aren't maybe simplified watered down superficial looks at things that are proper deep dives and kind of master classes into different topics uh, so yeah that you know that takes up obviously part of my week trying to to build and develop that stuff at the moment so uh yeah it's all good enjoying it no that sounds, that sounds awesome we'll definitely check those out as and when they become available um i just kind of want to we kind of spoke a bit off air and i said kind of agility is something I kind of struggle with early in my career because um, partly because what we talk about is such a, a broad topic and and I probably, if I held my hands up, I kind of did the old, well, you know, the rugby's taking care of that and I had the kind of strength, power, conditioning and speed stuff well, where I thought was down um, and kind of agility maybe got the, got the was, was the last sort of thought, I guess. Um, and, you know, you, you've really kind of explained, you know, some, some good approaches to it and i said the, the way you talk about it is you know it's you, you know your stuff in and out and um what's difficult at times is sometimes people want you know this is how you do it and what I like is you you know well no we can't say that it's such a broad topic but you've given some good kind of routes to kind of direct ourselves down so um no it's, it's commendable that you've put the time and effort into into doing it and i think maybe that's why people kind of avoid it because it is such a broad topic um and and um, yeah you've definitely got a good good understanding of it and look forward to hearing more from you about it um so that, that's I guess the ne next or last question really is where can people learn more about you yeah so um social media is going to be best place um love hate relationship with it as everybody does um but i mainly active on twitter i'm making more of a deliberate effort for with instagram at the moment um with with mixed opinions but i'm rich underscore agility lab on on twitter um strength coach curriculums has a has a page as well but to kind of find it find it through my my profile um and then i'm rich underscore strength coach curricks on on instagram which i'm going to be a little bit more deliberately make a conscious effort with i guess especially over the summer with kind of lots of the, the training clips and stuff that i've that I've got so yeah best place you know DMs are open send me a send me a message happy to chat with people about stuff um I've got a little a free kind of like a free eight-week email course which is a kind of an agility-based email course if somebody wants to jump on that again kind of give me a give me a message and I'll send you a quick sign up link um one email a week that will kind of take you through some broad concepts and principles because you're right there's no easy simple perfect right answer for, for this is a topic which um is unfortunate for people that want you know quick easy templates to to, to do things uh but yeah look twitter's best and happy to kind of chat with people in any form that kind of comes via there that's great no we'll and of course we'll share links to to all those uh, in the show notes um but yeah rich it's been great great talking to you look forward to seeing you know what, what else you're coming out with um sounds great um and just wish you all the best
All good. Thanks very much. Cheers. Yeah, so thanks, Rich. Great to talk to you. Tons of some great information about agility and other things. Um, and something that, you know we really think can impact and performance. So definitely something um, we need to learn more about and improve. And obviously, Rich is doing the research and you know delivering the content for people to to improve that part of their training. So um, really good stuff. Um, love love catching up with Rich and uh, wish him all the best for the future. And of course, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or whatever you use for your podcasts. Uh, and check us out at RugbyRenegades.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.